So uh, jumping right in here, uh, glad that you're here this morning. Um, <clears throat> uh, a friend of mine great, gave me this really great piece of advice. I was getting ready to um, move on from one church uh, in here in Michigan, and I was transferring to a church where I grew up in San Diego, California. And uh, a friend of mine had this really great advice that he gave to me. He said this, he said, People don't remember how you came. They remember how you left. That's pretty good advice, isn't it, right there? I wish I could have told you I came up with that, but it's brilliant. People don't remember how you came. They remember how you left. And that is so true, isn't it? Whether you're talking about a job or you're talking about graduating from school or you're talking about family members, you know, a, a Christmas party with your family, whatever the case is, people don't remember how you came, they remember how you left. And I love the quote by Will Rogers who said, when I die, I want to die like my grandfather who died peacefully in his sleep. Not screaming like all the passengers in his car. That is not the way to leave, okay? People don't remember how you came. They remember how you left. And that reminds me of one of the greatest stage exits to a concert that I have ever seen, okay? Now, I've been to a lot of different concerts, not near as many as my friends Kim and Wes Seeley, but I've been to a lot of concerts, okay? And this, by far, is the greatest exit I have ever seen. Now, if you've been here at Lighthouse for any amount of time, you know that my favorite band is the band U2. I've seen them three different times. I saw them in Los Angeles twice and uh, in San Jose, California, and two of the three times they ended the concert this way. Okay, uh, they got to their last song, and the last song is called 40. And it goes like this it goes, I waited patiently for the Lord, He inclined and heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the pit, out of the miry clay. I will sing, sing a new song. I will sing, sing a new song. And the crowd at the concert is epically familiar because uh, the vast majority of these tens of thousands of people, in fact, the, the first time I heard them do it was at the L.A. Coliseum, and I think there was probably like 80,000, 90,000 people. And, and, and when I saw them in San Jose, tens of thousands of people are singing. They've got their hands raised above their head, right? It's the last song. And, and they're singing, and Bono, the lead singer, we're all singing. He's like, I will sing, sing a new song. And Bono takes his microphone, puts it down, and walks off the stage. While Adam Clayton, the bassist, and the Edge, the guitarist, and Larry Mullins Jr., they're still playing on the stage. And the crowd becomes the lead singer. We're all singing. I will sing, sing a new song. And then a couple minutes later, okay, Adam Clayton, the bassist, I come to this side because this is where he usually stands. He puts down his bass, and he walks off the stage, leaving the Edge and Larry Mullins Jr. They're still, you know, he's playing guitar, he's playing the drums, and we're still singing. After a couple minutes, The Edge puts down his guitar. He walks off stage. The only person on stage is Larry Mullins Jr., and he's pounding out the beat, and we are singing about as loud as, or louder. I will sing, sing a new song. And finally, Larry Mullins Jr. puts down his sticks, 
and he walks off the stage. And you would think at this point, the crowd would be like, wow, that was an epic way to end a concert. That was phenomenal, right? But that's not what we did. We all stood there. There was no band on the stage. And we are singing, how long to sing this song? How long to sing this song? And we're singing. We continue singing. And then at some point, it kind of fades away and people start exiting from the building. It was phenomenal. The single greatest ending to a concert that I have ever, ever been to. Now, here's the interesting thing for you and me to know. And it's this, that, that you two, Bono, The Edge, Adam Clayton, Larry Mullins Jr., they did not write that song 40. In fact, they ripped that song off from a musician from thousands of years previous. That musician who wrote the words to that song went by the name of King David. And that song, 40, is actually a reference to Psalm 40. And that is the psalm that we are going to talk about today. So if you have your Bibles, I would highly encourage you to turn to Psalm 40. Psalm 40, whether you got your paper Bible or you've got it on your phone or your pad or whatever it is, turn to Psalm 40. And just while you're turning there, it's good to be, to be reminded that this is a psalm that is attributed to King David. It wasn't just a psalm, it was a song. It was a song that King David wrote. It's a psalm of praise as well as petition to the Lord for him to move on behalf of the singer. So let's look at the first four verses of Psalm 40, shall we? Psalm 40 goes, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Father, over the next few minutes as we kind of talk through these verses of Psalm 40, would you please speak to us? Holy Spirit, would you guide and direct our thoughts? Would there be something, a nugget that each and every one of us needs here today. Speak to us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we've been going through the Psalms, it's been important, and we have talked about this for well over, pretty close to two years, about how context is so important to understanding what the Word of God is saying. That we understand the context of what it means when it was written so that we can understand what it means for us today. And we're going to take a look at that. So what do we learn from David in these three or four verses that we can look at today? I think it, it forces us to ask three questions. And I encourage you to take notes. There's no, no screen behind me, so you can't take pictures of it. But take some notes. There's three questions we are forced to ask when we look at Psalm 40. The first question is this. How much do I trust God? How much do I trust God? The corollary question to that is, will I wait for his leading? 
How much do I trust God and will I wait for his leading? Psalm 40 verse 1 says, David wrote this. David wrote, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. Now, the Hebrew for where when David writes, I waited patiently, the Hebrew for that literally translates to this. You ready? Relying, I relied. Relying, I relied. In Hebrew, they have this interesting thing where they do a double emphasis. Relying, I relied. Or I waited patiently for the Lord. In, in, in that double emphasis, what David is literally, literally writing is, I relied on God, therefore I rely on God. I relied on God, therefore I rely on God. A way to interpret what he writes is this. Because I have relied on God in the past and God has always proven faithful, I will rely on him knowing that he will answer. Therefore, because I have in this confidence in him, I will wait as long as it takes. Because I have this, this, this confidence in God and in his faithfulness, I will wait as long as it takes. As long, say that with me, as long as as it takes, right? As I will wait as long as it takes. Think about this. There are so many great examples biblically of people having to wait. Abraham was almost, Abraham was a hundred years old and his wife, Sarah, was between 90 and 91 years old before they received their firstborn son, Isaac. Joseph waited for years in a prison in Egypt before God arranged for his release to become overseer of the entire country of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. Israel waited 430 years to be rescued from slavery in Egypt. And then they wandered 40 more years in the desert before they got to the promised land. The Bible tells us that Zechariah and Elizabeth were old. They were really old. It doesn't give us a specific time, but it says that they were really old. And the Bible says that Elizabeth was cursed with a barren womb. She couldn't have children. And they were old. And then God did a miracle and blessed them with a son by the name of John the Baptist. They waited a long time. David himself was anointed king like as a teenager. He was going to be the king, but he had to wait years and years and years. He had to wait on the Lord and he even had to run for his life from the king who was before him. And he had to wait until he could fulfill that anointing, until he could fulfill that calling on his life to be the king. So when David writes, I waited patiently for the Lord, what David is saying I re is I relied on God and I will rely on God because God has been faithful in the past and I will wait for him to be faithful in the presence, in the present no matter how long it takes God. 
See, here in the United States, in the West, we're kind of cursed. You think about it. Think, think about this. If you jump on and you Google something, Google is searching every writing ever written throughout history. Thousands and thousands of years, it is going through to find exactly what matches. And you and I sit there after five seconds going, what is taking so long? Right? I literally wait at Taco Bell. Sean and I will be in in the drive-thru at Taco Bell. And if I'm waiting at that window, I'm not kidding you, this is not glorious for me. Believe me, I'm working on this. But if I wait longer than 90 seconds for my fast food to get to the window, I'm like, what is taking so long? Abraham and Sarah, 100 years old, 90, 91 years old, Joseph, years, not years in paradise, years in prison, Israel, 430 years waiting for God's salvation, 40 years in the desert before they could move into the promise. And now that's their fault. Zechariah and Elizabeth were old, waiting on the Lord, waiting patiently on the Lord who has been faithful in the past because he will be faithful today. How many of us can say, I'm waiting patiently for the Lord. How many of us today can say, I've relied on the Lord in the past and he has been faithful in the past, so I am waiting on him today and I will wait as long as it takes. As long as it takes. Now, I don't know about you, but I struggle with this. Some of you may have the same question that I do, which is this. Could you please define waited patiently? What does that mean? Or better yet, can you just give me an idea? How long is waiting patiently? Is it a day? Is it a week? Is it a a couple of weeks? Just help me out here. What what are we talking about? To be honest with you, I, I don't know. I don't know God's plan for you. I don't entirely know God's plan for me. For me to answer, I would not presume to answer how long you have to wait when we're talking about the God who, to this God, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. But I do know this. God is faithful. And God will answer Here's the thing. God moves in his time, not in my time. God moves in his time, not in your time. But I do know this. God has your best interests at heart. What are you going through right now? What are you going through right now that is forcing you to trust in God? Are you running to him with this? Are you laying it before God like Abraham and Sarah, like Joseph, like Elizabeth and Zechariah, like David? Are you laying it before God 
and waiting patiently, following him, reaching out to him, trusting him for as long as it takes? Answer the question, how much do I trust God? The second question that we get from David's writing here is, am I looking for an answer or am I looking for God? Those are two different things. Am I looking for an answer or am I looking for God? Because let's be honest, most of the time when I'm looking for an answer, I really am looking for an answer that's going to benefit me. If I'm looking for God in this situation, I will get God and I will get God's leading in this moment. Looking for answers, check this out, looking for answers is situational. Looking for God is a lifestyle. Looking for answers is situational. What's going on right now? What's happening around me? Why is this happening? It's situational. Looking for God is a lifestyle. God doesn't just give answers. God gives directions to life, regardless of how long it takes. Look at what David wrote in Psalm 40, verse 2. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Have you ever walked on unstable ground? You know how like how kind of scary that is. I remember one time, I think I was about seven years old and, and I was hanging out with my uncle Bob and in San Diego, uh, uh, his company was getting ready to break ground on this ex- extremely expensive uh, uh, home area on what is known as Mount Helix and Mount Helix, super expensive. And there's this old dried up lake that they would end up filling. But, but my uncle Bob was going there to kind of check things out and me being seven years old, there's no way I'm hanging out here to listen to them talk about this when there's a dried up lake to explore, right? So I walk down to this lake and I'm kind of walking around. And as I'm walking, I hear this like that. I'm like, wow, that's weird. And I took one more step and I went down to my knees in mud. Now, some of you probably would have been like, well, this is unfortunate, right? But I'm a seven-year-old who has an imagination that is as big as the universe. And I knew that mud was trying to suck me down to Sheol, right? Trying to dig me. And I'm literally screaming like, ah! And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like dragging mud all over the place. Get into my uncle's truck. I am just all muddy, right? And that mud stunk so bad. It was horrible. That feeling of being sucked down into the mud. And when I finally got out of it, when I put my feet on solid ground, I was like, thank you, God. I didn't really say that, but I'm telling you right now, I feel it, okay? When I got out of the muck and mire and onto the solid ground, it was almost as if I breathed a sigh of relief. You've probably been in that same place as well, walking on a path that was unstable. Now, here's the thing. The Hebrew phrase, okay, right here we read slimy pit. The New English translation is a little bit better interpretation where it would say a watery pit, okay? The Hebrew here is is cistern of roaring, cistern of roaring, cistern being a kind of like a holding tank for water. 
and, and so the Jews, when they would read this or when they would sing it, as David wrote it, this cistern, they would identify roaring water. They would picture the shores maybe of the Sea of Galilee or, or maybe the Mediterranean, the crashing waves onto the shore, the tumult of the waves just in the water. And for, for in, in antiquity, their association with churning uh, water, with crashing waves, was chaos and evil. And so when it, when it says, he lifted me out of the watery pit, what David is saying here is the association of evil and chaos was associated with a place that the Jews called Sheol. It was the place of death. And so what David says poetically here in this song is that, God, you have lifted me out of the chaos. You have lifted me out of death and placed my feet firmly on the rock of life. Amen. That's what David is saying right here. He is literally singing about God's faithfulness to take him from death to life. So let me ask you a question. How's your walk going today are you walking confidently or do you feel a little bit unstable which is understandable in the world that we're living in today with a delta variant and uncertainty in the economy and all of these and who knows what's going on in your own personal life it would be understandable to have a little bit of instability in your walk are you living day to day looking for answers on how to live better? Or are you living day to day looking for God who will take you out of that uncertainty, who will lift you out of the muck and mire of chaos and death and put your feet firmly on the rock of life who is Jesus Christ? It's the only way. It's the only way you and I have the joy that we talked about the last two weeks and the certainty that this life is not all there is, is when we trust in Jesus. So the second question, am I looking for an answer or am I looking for God? And the third question is this, is God's leading just for me? In this moment with all that's going on and, I, and I'm waiting patiently on God, I know that I've, I've relied on God in the past and he's been faithful and I will rely on God right now for as long as it takes. But is God's answer just for me? Is God's leading just for me? And if you've been going to Lighthouse for any amount of time, you know the answer to that already. No, God's leading is not just for you. Almost always God's leading in our lives as followers of Jesus has an impact on the people around us watching around us, seeing how we live our lives. Almost always, people are watching us through the hardships in which we're living, not losing our temper, not giving up our joy, but trusting God to come through however long it takes. People are watching us, and God's leading is rarely just about us. So, at the end of the U2 concert in San Jose, California, what happened, as I told you in the beginning of the message, happened right here. We're singing. We're singing. How long to sing this song? 
How long to sing this song? Bono puts down his mic. A little bit later, Adam Clayton puts down his bass. A little bit later, The Edge puts down his guitar. And a little bit after that, Larry Mullins Jr. walks away from his drums. And we are literally still singing. No band on the stage. I will sing, sing a new song. I will sing, sing a new song. How long to sing this song? And we sing it, and we get to the end. And there's like a hush in the crowd. And everybody begins to leave. And I was with my friend, Sean McFadden, who's a huge U2 fan. And we were sitting down on the floor. Our two wives, my wife, Sean, and his wife, Jamie, they had really great seats in the last row in the nosebleed section up there. But my friend, Sean, and I, we were down on the floor. We got done singing. We turn and we walk away. And I turned to my friend, Sean McFadden, and I said, we were just in a worship service. We were just worshiping. We had a worship band up on the stage. Bono was the worship leader. So the thousands of people had their hands raised up in the air and they were singing a song, praising God, and they didn't even know it. David writes in Psalm verse 40, chapter 40, verse 3, many will see and fear the Lord. And put their trust in him. In the economy of God, his leading in my life is rarely just for me. It's about that cloud of witnesses who is watching. They're watching me. They're watching you. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, they're watching to see how you handle those times in life. How you handle that waiting time. If you're actually looking and saying, I've relied on God in the past and he has been faithful and I will rely on God today no matter how long it takes, I believe and trust that God will answer. My friends, your life is more than just about you. Who's watching you? Who's learning from you? Who is thinking about trusting God their life to God because of what they see in you. How are things for you in this moment? Because God will lift you out of that muck and mire and put your feet on solid rock when you trust in him. So here are three questions. As the band makes their way up right now, here are three questions that I want to encourage you to write down and talk about today. Three questions. First question is this, how much do I trust God? And I hope, I hope you will answer that question truthfully. How much do I trust God? Because it's easy for you and I in, in the moment when things are going good, to, ah, I totally trust God. But it's in those tough times like Joseph when you're in prison for years, completely innocent, waiting on the Lord patiently. It's like, it's like Elizabeth and Zechariah trusting God that 
even though they've never had a child and they are incredibly old and, 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 and Elizabeth has been cursed with a barren womb that God will be faithful and they wait for years and years and decades and decades. My friends, how much do you trust God? And are you willing to wait for his leading? Question number two, am I looking for an answer or am I looking for God? Am I looking for an answer or am I looking for God? Because remember, looking for an answer is situational. Looking for God is a lifestyle. And looking for God, you will always get his leading on what you need to do right now and tomorrow. And sometimes what you need to do right now is wait patiently on the Lord. Am I looking for an answer or am I looking for God? And number three, is my life pointing others to God or away from God by how I'm living in this moment? Is my life pointing others to God or away from God by how I'm living my life right now? Remember what David said, in the midst of the muck and the mire, many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him.